0: Come on, let's pray. Father, thank you for today. We pray now that everything that we do and everything that we say, that it will be pleasing in your sight to bring glory and honor to you. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. And that your people might see you, the hope and light of this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thousands and thousands of good Christian folk pray every week asking God to bless them with the right lottery numbers. I know none of y'all do. I know none of y'all do. But thousands of Christians all over the country are praying, saying, Lord, give me those right numbers. Lord, let me get the right ticket. Lord, as I scratch it, bless right now in Jesus' name. And we do that in the belief that when we hit, it is going to change our lives for the better. We believe that money is going to solve so many of our problems. But the truth of the matter is the evidence is contrary to that. You have some people who have won some big jackpots, and when I tell you They went through it fast. Man, you wouldn't believe how fast they went through it. And they were just like you. They said, oh, no, when I hit this line, man, listen, let me do I'm going to bless the church. I'm going to bless the Lord. I'm going to bless my family. And they end up doing all of that blessing and end up broke. (laughs) It was a guy by the name of Jack Whitaker. Jack Whitaker was a construction worker in West Virginia. Hit at what at that time was the largest jackpot ever three hundred and fourteen point nine million dollars three hundred and fourteen point nine million he hit it in night in 2002 now here's what's interesting uh jack was already known for his bigger than life personality and man when i tell you he went to blessing folk he went to blessing folks he blessed his church he gave handouts to people he donated cash to diner waitresses, family members, strangers, and was a frequent patron and a favorite client at his local strip club. Jack gave money to everybody, but according to ABC News, his life turned to turmoil. His wife left him, his house burned down, he got in trouble with the law, Lost a daughter to cancer and a granddaughter to drugs, and in 2020, Jack Whitaker died at the age of 72, broke. David Lee Edwards, this is a couple from Kentucky, they won $27 million. $27 million. It only took him five years to lose it all. $27 million. They squandered their fortune on typical goodies like uh, cars and mansions and a plane. They went through $3 million in the first three months. By the end of the first year, $12 million was gone. By 2006, the couple had spiraled into drug addiction, and just 12 years after the win, David Lee Edwards died alone, broke in hospice care at the age of 58. Uh, William Post is an interesting guy. He won $16.2 million in 1988. One year later, he posted that he was $1 million in debt. One year, $16.2 million gone. Listen to this. According to Forbes, his ex-girlfriend sued him for part of the winnings. His brother hired a hitman to kill him. And then they said the real problem was his lavish spending. I'm thinking, man, if your girlfriend sues you and your brother wants to kill you and hires a hitman, those are pretty, pretty big problems to have, right? He bought houses, boats, cars, and bought a twin-engine plane that he couldn't even fly. He died broke in 2006. Somebody who may think, hey man, if you hit the lottery twice, that's that's a great thing. Miss Evelyn begs to differ. One in 15 trillion odds, she won a 3.9 million and then a 1.4 million dollar jackpot five months later. Like most winners, she could not get out of her own way. Gambled, too many gifts, spent too much, bad investments to the point that in two thousand fifteen 15 years after she won that money, she was destitute and had to move into a trailer park in New Jersey. This may be the saddest story of all. His name is Billy Bob Harold Jr. Billy Bob was a hardworking man worked at Home Depot as a shelf stocker. He won $31 million in the Lotto Texas jackpot. He and his wife bought houses and cars for themselves and their family members. Deeply religious man donated heavily to their church and individual members of the congregation, but the money dried up. His marriage fell apart. And less than two years after his lottery dreams came true, Harold locked himself in a room and shot himself to death. Now, for some of you, you may think that's the exception. For some of you, you may be saying, man, give me that money. I know I could manage it better than that. But do you know the statistics of how many lottery winners end up broke? Seventy percent of lottery winners end up dead broke within five years of winning. And it doesn't matter the amount of money they won. Now, that may shock you because in our mindset, we believe money equals happiness. We believe if we can make it and we can Save it if we can get that bag, if we can get that big salary, then we're going to be on easy street. Everything is going to be fine. And the truth of the matter is that mentality is not only in the world, it's in the church as well. We have gotten to a place where we equate being rich with being blessed. We have in this country confused capitalism with Christianity we think the two automatically go together. So we equate having money with having happiness, and we dream about dollars. We are mesmer- mesmerized by money. We are preoccupied with acquiring possessions. But Mike Tyson said it, and I believe he was true. He said, if you think money's gonna make you happy, when people think money is gonna make them happy, Those are people who have never had money. Because the truth of the matter is, money is not the problem that most of us have in life when it comes to money. As a matter of fact, let me go a little step further. Not having money is not the problem that most of us have when it comes to money issues in life. For the overwhelming majority of people who are watching and those of you who are sitting here... You may not like it. You may get mad at me. But it's not the amount that you have. It's how you manage what you have. See, let me help somebody in here. You you remember when you was making $5 an hour? And you said, boy, if I could just make $7 an hour, I'd be good. No, no, you didn't go that hard. If you could just make another dollar an hour, you said, you're going to be on easy street. And, man, you got $2 an hour more. When you was making $10 an hour. You said, "Man, 10 dollars an hour, boy, but if I could ever get to 12 dollars an hour, whoo, I'd be on Easy Street." And you went from 10 to 12 to 15 to 20. Now you're making more than 20, you're on salary, and you're still broke. And you're still miserable. You don't need to say, "Amen, I know I'm right about it." And our problem is not a having money, it's the spending money. That's our problem our inability to discipline ourselves and that's why we carry the debt that we carry my grandfather used to teach me that if you can't buy it outright you can't afford it he he never talked about payments and trying to squeeze in another $25 a month in your payment no 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 if you can't buy it you can't afford it that's how he bought cars I didn't know that until I got older. That's how he bought cars. He literally would pay a car note to himself every month, and then when he got ready to get a new car, he would trade in his car, pay cash for the difference, and then start putting aside what he needed to get a car next time. And he would say, I'm going to build up, I'm going to build up. He said, I'm going to build up, I'm going to save. He said, because I don't like that debt. And we trying to figure out how we can squeeze in another $5 a month. I was talking to one young person not long ago, and they were talking about how they had to build up their credit. So in order to build up their credit, they were taking on all of this debt and all these little cards and $5 here and pay $2 here and $4 a month here. Why? So they could build up their credit. For what? So they can get in more debt. For what? So they can buy more stuff they don't need with money they don't have, to impress people they don't know. Our rooted study this week is how does God view money? And I want to give you what I believe is the key to living a fruitful and blessed life, a stress-free life. Everybody say stress-free. Today I want to talk about how to be content in your living and giving. How to be content in your living and giving. Now, I gave you some blanks to fill in on your outline. If you have your outlines, would you say amen? Amen. Need an outline? Raise your hand. For those of you who are watching, you can download the outline using our app. Wherever you get your app, go to your app and look for the Good Hope app, and you will find it there. Here's a statement I think most of you would agree with. You are in debt when you spend more than you have, right? When you spend more than you make, you're going to end up in debt. That's a pretty simple rule, right? Like if you make a 1,000 and you spend 12,000 or 1,200, you're going to be in debt. Like how did these people go through more than a million dollars a month? Now for you and for me, that sounds like a lot of money. But it's not hard to go through that kind of money when you have no plan, you have no discipline, you have no budget. When you don't have the ability to say no to yourself and you're just waiting for an opportunity to get something else that you don't need to impress sometimes people you don't even like and you don't even know. God says you've got to learn how to be content. You know what I've come to realize? Many of us can't give to the kingdom work like God calls us to give to it because we live in a perpetual state of discontentment. Debt has become our ruler. Debt has become our landlord. And we can't get past making more debt to get more stuff. You know what I figured out? I figured out it it takes you some time to really realize that all of the stuff that you went in debt to get is temporary goods. They are temporary goods that won't last long and won't give fulfillment long. Three things I want you to see today as we look at Philippians chapter 4. Now, just to give you a background, Paul is in prison facing the false charges of insurrection against the government. He's facing the death penalty if he is convicted. Uh, The Philippians heard about his plight. They had heard how Paul was standing fast and continuing to preach the gospel, and the church was stirred to do two things. One, they took up a love offering to support Paul, and they sent a man, Epaphroditus, to go and minister to him. Um, What's interesting is we're going to look at one of the most familiar passages in the book of Philippians, a passage that we love to quote. And I submit to you, my brothers and my sisters, when we quote it, we typically quote it out of context, which means it does not move us to take it in its context so that the content can help produce the proper conduct in our lives. Here's the first thing I want you to see. Number one, You must realize becoming content is something you must learn, not something you are born with. Becoming content in life is something you must learn, not something you are born with. Philippians chapter 4 verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity." Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I want you to circle the word learned and circle the word content. Now, the church at Philippi had supported Paul in his ministry and mission endeavors in the past, but for whatever reason, they had stopped supporting him. And so here they are now hearing about his imprisonment, hearing about his possible conviction and hearing about him possibly losing his life for the sake of the gospel. Paul now writes to them saying, I rejoice because you have revived your concern for me. You have sent an offering, you have sent Epaphroditus because now you are concerned about me. He says, but I say this not because I'm lacking or I am in need, because I've learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. Uh, The word learn there literally means to understand. It comes from the same family of words where the word disciple comes from. So it's not just the getting of information, but it is the receiving of information that produces a life transformation, a change in who I am. Many times in church in particular, we make the mistake of equating conviction with a change in conduct. So we hear something that convicts us and we're like, wow, Pastor sure was on it. Woo, the Lord sure used him today. And then we keep on living the same raggedy way we've been living, right? But we're convicted on Sunday, but we're not converted on Monday, Paul says, no, I have learned, I have learned. Somebody may ask the question, how did he learn? He learned not just through the word of God and the spirit of God, but he learned through his own life experiences. One of the things that I encourage people to do is stop long enough to learn from your past so you don't make the same mistakes in your present and your future right? You want to learn. I'm not saying I don't make mistakes. I just work really, really hard not to be the same dumb person I was in the past, right? So, if you say, hey, man, Pastor, I heard you did this. Yeah, I probably did. But now, hopefully, I ain't do it two or three times, right? Because I want to learn from my mistakes. Paul, Paul said, I have learned in whatever state I am in to be content. It does not happen automatically. You have to learn contentment. The word content there means a level of sufficiency, adequacy, uh, needing no assistance or not needing anymore. Basically, I'm good. I'm good. And contentment is not a gift that God gives. Contentment is a character trait that has to be learned and developed through life experiences. And when somebody says to the Lord, I am content, that is the language of a good student. You have to learn to be content and then live out of that contentment. Now, somebody said, well, wait a minute. What's the relationship between contentment and money and contentment and stuff? I'm glad you asked. Contentment is based on the presence of what you need, not the absence of what you want. Contentment is based on the presence of what you need, not the absence of what you want. See, when getting goods and stuff guides how you live, it's impossible for you to find contentment in life. You just can't find it. Uh, We were talking in our small group, and we were talking about greed And one of the lessons that we learned when we talked about greed was the fact that greed is an insatiable desire that can never be satisfied. When you want what you don't have, you will be driven by that greed and it can never be satisfied because there's always more that you don't have. And marketers know that. They're going to put out the newest style, the latest style. Why? Because they're going to keep you coming back for more because of that greed. Look at Proverbs fourteen thirty. It's healthy to be content, but envy can eat you up. Envy distinguished from jealousy, and that jealousy really speaks to what we have, and holding on to what we have. Envy is really a synonym of coveting, is when I look at what you have and I want what you have. Envy goes a little bit further and says, not only do I want what you have, but I feel like it's my right to have what you have. So, I'm going to do whatever I can and whatever it takes to get what you have because it's my right to have it. How many people do you know? Maybe the person you see in the mirror every day, who feels like it's their right to be happy. Do you know that's the world that has taught us that? When I say the world has taught us that, the world has taught us that, you know, we're gonna be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Right? We we have this me ism in preaching now, this pep rally preaching, and it's, and it's all narcissistic. It's all egocentric. It's all about me, and the world revolves around me, and God is my cons- cosmic concierge, and he's just waiting to bless me and make sure I'm good and make sure I'm taken care of, and I'm waiting for God to bless me without any requirements on what I am supposed to give to God. Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9 Let's read it together. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Solomon says, don't give me too much and don't give me too little. Give me too much, I'm going to forget all about you, Lord. I'll be so busy playing with my toys that I won't even stop to thank you for the blessing me, for blessing me with what I have. And if you give me too little, I'll profane you the other way and start stealing and taking what's not mine and justifying my sin in the name of my own personal hunger and my own desires. Here's the second thing, number two, you need to realize you can achieve a state of contentment despite the circumstances you find yourself in. You can achieve a state of contentment despite the circumstances you find yourself in. Verse 12, Philippians chapter 4. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. Paul says, I know how to do it. Look at A, contentment is possible whether you have something or nothing. Matter of fact, let's be honest. Some of y'all who are not ashamed, you can say amen. For many of you, you had a greater level of contentment when you had less than when you have more say what you will or may, but you were happier, you had more peace with potted meat and Vienna sausage than you have with steak and lobster. You don't have to say amen. I know I'm right about it. You had a greater level of contentment, a greater level of peace. You wasn't worrying about who was trying to take your stuff and you wasn't worried about how to get more stuff. You just had contentment and see the mistake that we've made we think coveting is the path to contentment if we just get more stuff surround ourselves with more toys bigger house even though we have an empty heart we think that somehow that's going to make us content here's the second thing Number two, or B, I should say, contentment is possible regardless of the situation you find yourself in. It's not just whether you have something or nothing. Paul says whatever situation you find yourself in, you can be content. Why? Because contentment is a state of mind. Contentment is not based on your acquisitions. Contentment is rooted in your attitude. And for somebody, you can't enjoy what God has blessed you with because you're so worried about getting more and getting more. And then here's what we do. We say, if I just get, and if I just get, and then after you get that, you don't stop. You say, well, if I just get a little bit, and if I just get a little bit more. I was talking to a brother not long ago, and he was talking about how he needed to be a, a, a millionaire, right? And he's telling me about all the stuff he has. And I said, you do know you're already a millionaire, right? And he said, why do you say that? I said, man, you, you, you own 20 houses, right? You own 20 houses of varying value. But you, you own 20 houses. You're building your own house. You got a rose, you got a, you got a, you got it. you got a, you already a millionaire. And you know what he said? Well, I don't feel like one. So I got to make some more until I feel like it. So he's not even dealing with the facts. He's looking at feelings. When is enough enough? When you feel like it's enough. But the truth of the matter is, if you have a poverty mentality, it will never feel like enough. And you'll always feel like you need more. Paul says, I've learned the secret to facing every situation and I've learned how to live when I need it and I learned how to live when I didn't. I remember the old folks used to say, you're crying hungry with a loaf of bread under your arm, right? Complaining when you have been blessed with so much. Look at Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10. If you love money, you will never be satisfied. If you long to be rich, you will never get all you want. It is useless. If you love money, you will never be satisfied because there's more money out there that you don't have. And if you long to be rich, you will never get all that you want. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Verse 7, after all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Listen to what he says. Contentment is itself great worth. And great wealth and he says listen when you were born you came in the world with what nothing when you die you leave the world with what nothing and the only thing that matters between birth and death is having enough food and clothing and at the end of the day that's all you need all that other stuff all of the other experiences all of that other stuff is icing it's gravy and I don't know about you, but I've learned sometimes you can have too much icing on the cake. Amen. Ecclesiastes 6, nine: enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless, like chasing the wind. Lord have mercy. Here's the third and final thing, number three you need to realize your ability to be content is only achievable when you depend upon Christ. Your ability to be content is only achievable when you depend upon Christ. Philippians 4, 13. For I can do, the King James says, all things through Christ who strengthens me. The New Living Translation says, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Here's where we take the passage out of context, even though we have the proper content, and then we use the Bible to justify improper conduct. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What things? Paul says everything, contextually, that produces contentment. Because, see, here's what somebody's saying. I don't know if I can be content. You do understand the capitalistic world that I live in. You don't know uh, the vocation that I have, Pastor. It's a dog-eat-dog world out there. It's more money, more money, more money. I'm, I'm trying to be a child of God, but it's hard out here for a Christian. You went there. I didn't. (laughs) Paul says, if you're struggling with contentment in whatever state that you're in, if you're struggling with wanting more and wanting more instead of actually trusting God with what you've already been blessed with, if you're struggling with finding a place of peace in your life and not equating money with meaning and and having goods with having happiness— If if you're really serious about it, he says, let me tell you how I got there. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, let's be honest, y'all. Let's be honest. When we think about managing money, when we think about handling money, when we think about handling our possessions, we typically don't pray and ask God to help us manage it. We'll pray and ask God to bless us to get it. But we basically tell the Lord, leave the management up to us. Pastor, I got a deal coming up. Man, I need you to pray for me, man, if this deal comes through. And you know what I believe God knows? I believe God knows that for some of us, he better not let that deal come through. Because he knows if he does for some of y'all, he won't see you no more, he won't hear from you no more. All of that stuff that you say now, oh, oh, Pastor, boy, have I been there and look at the Lord? No, I'm on. that. Man, God knows better than you do. Paul says, Look at verse 10 in Philippians 4. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. I'm speaking of being in need. No, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help My needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So basically, here's what Paul is saying I can do everything that I need to do to obediently follow Jesus because of the strength that I receive from Jesus Christ. He says, I can do everything that God wants me to do, including checking the desires of my flesh. I can't do it in myself. I've got to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. I have to get to the place where I learn how to say no to myself and be content with the yes of where I am. If I can't do it in my flesh, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not a promise for supernatural power to influence somebody else. That's a promise so that you can get your. Self-in-position to yield yourself and submit yourself to God. Look at A. You can only become content when you depend upon Christ to strengthen you. Paul says, I can do. I can do. But it's through Christ who strengthens me. It's a partnership with God. I can do, I must do, but I can't do unless I do it through Christ who strengthens me. When Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing, it doesn't mean you should do nothing. It just means you can't do anything without him. So whatever you do, you must do it through him. That partnership is the key to finding contentment Despite your circumstances, that's why in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, when Paul says uh, to the Lord, Lord, I prayed three times to ask you to remove this thorn, you remember what God says back to Paul. Paul says, listen, Paul, this is my final answer. Don't ask me no more. My answer has not changed. You know, when children ask you something and you say, nah, no, no, I said no, I said no. See, they already know if they ask you enough times that you eventually going to say yes. That's those of you who will eventually say yes. So they know if they ask you 17 and a half times, you're going to eventually say yes. So they just in their time. I'm number 14, number 15. I said no. That's 15, number 16. I said no. Number 17. All right, go on and get out of here. Just go ahead on and do it. That's right? Because they know if they just keep asking. God says to Paul, Paul, don't ask me no more. It's my final answer. My grace is sufficient for you. That's why in verse 10, Paul says, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for when I am weak, then I am strong. Look at B, you can only become content when you depend upon Christ to take care of you. Who takes care of you? Who takes care of you? See, somebody right now, you have made the mistake of thinking you've been taking care of yourself. You think you're the one that's opening doors. You think you're the one that's providing. You think it's you. And the Bible says, even those who make money, it is God who gives you the power to be able to do what you do. So even when you close the deal and the, and the contract is signed, that's the time not to pat yourself on the back. That's the time to drop to your knees, create an altar where you are, and thank God for the blessing that he has provided for you. We are challenged to trust in God. Hebrews 13, beginning at verse 5. Let's read it together. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? My hope and my prayer for those of you who are watching and for those of you who are present, is that you don't spend your entire life climbing the ladder of success, getting to the top, only to find out it's been leaning against the wrong building the whole time. My prayer for you is that you don't get to the end of your life and find out all that you have accumulated and acquired has brought you no contentment in life. My prayer is, is that you would learn how to find contentment where you are. Now I know what some of you are thinking, but pastor, I got this drive, I got this desire. you saying I shouldn't be going after, I shouldn't be trying them. No, that's not what I said. I said, you have to find contentment though, wherever you are. Because if you're so busy trying to get that you don't have time to enjoy what you have been blessed with, then I submit to you, you're not in the place that God wants you to be. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. I pray, God, that we would all be able to say like the psalmist, the Lord, you are my strength and shield. You are the one we put our trust in. You are the one who helps us. You are the one who keeps us. You are the one who provides for us. And God, I pray that we would be delivered from and not fall into the traps of the enemy. Pray, God, that we would be wise enough to recognize that the debt game is really not a game that we want to play. Because the debt game makes us a slave to those we borrow from and causes us to focus on the things of this world and not the one who is the center of our life. Help us, God, to discipline ourselves, to be able to say no to ourselves. Say no to ourselves both in terms of what we get and also in terms of when we get it. And I pray God in particular for our young adults, our teens, our children who have grown up in a way where they have had the flat screens and have the phones and have the computers, and have access to so much that now they see it as a right and not a luxury. For the person that thinks cable is a necessity, who has never known the joy of rabbit ears, for the person who has grown up thinking that everybody Has to have a TV in their room. And they've never known the joy of sitting there and having the television changed on them by an older person. And learning they better keep their mouth shut till they get out of earshot. God, I pray for those who have never been told no. Not now, not yet or just outright no, and because they've never been told no, they can't tell themselves no. So they are driven by their desires, and they see wealth as their right. I pray, God, that you would let them know and remind them that we came into this world with nothing and we will leave with nothing. And whatever we gather, we will leave behind for somebody else to do whatever they will with it. We pray now, God, that your word has found fertile grounds in our hearts and minds. That we would be not just hearers, help us to be doers of your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.